Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along after the bank holiday uh, weekend and the weather at the weekend was a little bit of a damp squid, particularly for a bank holiday weekend. But the good news from Met Aaron is that next weekend we can expect a hot uh, spell. This week is going to be a little bit like the way the weekend was. There will be it'll be dull and wet and and kind of drizzle and misty old uh, rain. Uh, Wednesday, I think afternoon, probably the best of it. But most on most days we're going to it's going to be cloudy. There'll be outbreaks of rain and uh, drizzle. And that's the way it's going to be for every day this week, right up to and including Friday. Friday morning is going to be quite wet in some areas. But then Met Aaron are anticipating that the weekend is going to look rather nice. And temperatures actually right across this week will be above average for this time of year. You know, we're looking at sort of highs around anything between 40 and 18 degrees throughout the week but at the weekend then they're saying Saturday and Sunday uh, the temperatures could go into the 20 or the low at 20 so we're just going to have to bear with it Monday to Friday and put our Tuesday to Friday as it is now put up with the old drizzly weather and it was a bit of a damn squid wasn't it the weekend was we were hoping to get to the beach and to took a look at the weather and said oh god no we'll pass we'll pass on that hopefully whatever you did at the weekend you enjoyed, your, you enjoyed yourself and I suppose the one thing about bank holiday weekends a lot of people hooked up with families and I think that that's what it's all about. Our texts and WhatsApps are open at 086 103 103. Actually, I saw a lovely text in and it's only right, fitting and proper that I start the programme by mentioning the wonderful Katie Taylor. Now, I have to fess up and say... Um, my husband stayed up and, and actually watched the fight, even if it had been on early in the evening. I can't watch females boxing. I, I just find it really, really difficult. I accept it is just a terrific sport and how fit these ladies are but to watch two girls boxing the head off each other I just find it really really difficult having said that I'm not great at watching male boxing either but I certainly I'm not great at watching female boxing but that is not to take away in any way from Katie Taylor and we sent her massive congratulations today and uh, Michael O'Sullivan in Castletown Bear says massive congratulations going to Katie Taylor on winning on Saturday night and what a great fight her opponent Amanda Serrano put up she congratulated Katie saying she promised me that we would rock the house and my God says Michael didn't they do just that and they made women's boxing look great if there is a rematch in Ireland Crow Park won't be able to hold the crowd says Michael furthermore what a year it's been for Irish women in sport we've had Rachel Blackmore 
we've had Leona Maguire, uh, Katie McCabe and many, many more. And of course, now we add on to the list uh, Katie Taylor. A huge congratulations to them and the very best of luck in the future. All the talk now is about literally from when Katie Taylor, it was announced on a split decision that she'd won the match immediately. And of course, Katie Taylor has never had a professional fight in her home country of Ireland so that's something that she has always said that she would like to do and really wants to do but I think Michael could be right because there was so much hype around the Katie Taylor match and the whole of Ireland seemed to be talking about it I think if it was in Croke Park is where most people are, are saying that that's where it would be staged I think Michael is right it wouldn't be able to hold the crowd they certainly would sell out the tickets very very uh, quickly uh, indeed so we will wait to see but it is certainly something that Katie Taylor wants to do. There's others saying because it went to a split decision should she go out now? Should she leave it there on a high and not actually you know not go and fight because is there a danger that if she does take on Amanda again could Amanda have the edge over even though I I feel if Katie Taylor does the rematch in Croke, Croke Park and does it in Ireland I think she'll have the edge because I think there will be something very magical for Katie Taylor to be fighting on home uh, soil. But congratulations and well done to uh, Katie Taylor. 0818103103, John Paul taking your calls. Now farmers, this is all over the papers and on our news today, farmers are to be given up to €1,000 and it's to help them grow silage. It's part of what is believed to be a €55 million scheme and obviously it's been designed to offset the grain shortage which has been caused by the ongoing war in Ukraine. The Cabinet is set to approve what is a major new scheme for farmers to grow silage and it's expected that they'll do it today, so no doubt we'll be hearing more about it later on. The cost of silage is likely to rise by up to 30% this year because of the war. And then, of course, we've got the wider cost of living crisis and uh, farmers groups have been demanding action, saying something needs to be done. So the Agriculture Minister, Charlie McCongle, He's going to bring a memo to Cabinet today which will outline the plans for this €55 million package which should support farmers to grow crops and the idea is is to ensure that there's sufficient feed for cattle as we head into next winter. The package that's going to be developed will reward farmers with a payment. Now it'll be up to €1,000 and the payments are expected to be made later on in the year. Now I was reading in the examiner I think it was uh, today of a farmers association which I have to say I hadn't heard of. It's the Irish Natura and Hill Farmers Association. I had to do a quick Google on them. They were set up in uh, 2015. They say that a silage and hay subsidy has got to be in Introduced to offset what are massive increases in fertiliser, in plastic and of course diesel prices for everybody has gone up this year. They're calling for a payment of at least €5 per bale, that that's what's going to be required for uh, farmers. It's estimated the cost of making baled silage this summer will increase by that figure of close to 30% and that Hill Farmers Association uh, estimated that the price will hit €30 a bale this year. So the Minister for Agriculture, he's already tried to do his bit for farmers. For example, he's previously delivered €12 million. That was in a tillage scheme 
to assist farmers to grow tillage uh, crops. That's obviously to help the country's dependency on imported grains and artificial fertilisers. And of course, there's also been two packages that has been delivered to pig farmers and that has been worth a total of €20 million. But this new package today to grow silage is certainly going to top all of that because it's expected to be worth €55 million. Is it enough? Will farmers survive, especially the small family farms. They're the ones I think that are most at risk at the moment. Even though I've already seen one listener said, I'm so annoyed that the government is going to today announce that they're giving farmers €1,000 to grow silage. What about the rest of us who have no choice? All of our groceries are increasing every day. I'm not too bad, but I do worry about young couples with uh, families. How are they surviving? And everyone, I think, is starting to feel the pinch when it comes to the the rising cost of living and if you're on a fixed income I have to say whenever I'm in the supermarket now I'm actually very conscious how everything has gone up and like that listener it's you know you look at there was a young mother I was watching in the the supermarket the other day and she had two young children with her and you could actually see she was almost soul searching over every single thing that she was putting into her trolley if you're on a very fixed income it really is hard to make that fixed income stretch and some of the papers today are talking about the the threat of mass industrial action and its mounting. Now, this is right across the state and across all sectors because the cost of living crunch is now triggering wage demands. Some are looking for wage demands as high as 10%. Thousands of community sector workers, they're seeking salary hikes to counter rising inflation. They're actually planning a National Day of Protest in Dublin today and SIP2 who are representing a lot in the community sector workers. They're saying that industrial action will follow in June without talks on pay rises and they want pay rises to mirror the public sector increases and they are traditionally the groups that are paid paid for by the, the community sector that's paid for by the HSC. And then workers at Bosch and Lam in Waterford, they've already balloted for industrial action over pay. They rejected a pay deal which recommended a labour court worth um, 8.25% over three years. Workers at Bosch and Lam in Waterford say that's not enough because of the rising cost of living. Tesco workers, they're seeking 10% pay rise. They want that over 12 uh, months. And, and they also want the bottom of the pay scale in Tesco to be brought up to a living wage of €12.90 an hour. A labour court hearing is expected to take place for the Tesco workers. That is next month. And then managers at AIR, they tabled a motion for a union conference next week. They're seeking a one-off salary increase of 10% and they want it for all of the communication workers' unions. Now, that motion said that that it was they wanted it to help combat the cost of living and with inflation running at nearly 5% even though that motion has been withdrawn they've managed to secure a 6% pay deal but that's going to be over three years which was different to what they were actually looking for. SIP2 have lodged claims of 6% for groups at, at Dublin Port at Pier Ports and Doyle Shipping in Dublin at Dublin Bus unions are tabling plans for an annual pay rise in the region of between 3 and 3 quarter and That was after members rejected earlier proposals. And then the leaders of ICTU affiliated unions, they're expected to meet next month to review their strategy, which has already been revised. And pressure is mounting on unions from their members 
particularly the ones that are locked into multi-year deals, which have very modest pay rises. They're now saying they want higher increases. And those modest pay rises were fine on those multi-year deals when we didn't have inflation rising the way it has done. But it seems revising deals that do not have review clauses is going to lead to conflict between the unions who see it as undermining the normal industrial relation protocols. So it's going to be a tricky time ahead. Sipto are saying that an average, on average money, people who are on, you know, fixed pay, not getting any increases or if they're getting increases, they're very small increases. They are the people that are really struggling. I mean, energy bills have increased for most families by about three, four hundred euro a year. And they're making the point where are workers going to get that extra money from? And, you know, SIP2 also were citing for people who say working in uh, Dublin. Rent in Dublin last week, it came, came out the average rent in Dublin is just under two thousand euro. How people are, are affording to live in Dublin while renting I really don't know so there does seem to be a this threat of industrial action and as I say it's mounting across all sectors One listener says uh, Patricia the best Irish sports person of all time male or female has got to be uh, Katie Taylor yeah I think a lot of people will agree with you on that but I'm also noticing a number of others are agreeing with me in saying including Mary says Patricia I'm with you on the box I have great respect for Katie Taylor and uh, Kelly Harrington and absolutely so do I as uh, women but I can't get my head around women punching each other or men for that matter yeah I just think it's thing I can't watch I just I find it really difficult to watch and then to see her little face after since she was bleeding oh gosh I just I couldn't watch it I mean even the bit the clips that I saw on the news I found it really really difficult and for her mother to be sitting in the audience watching it I, I think it must be very difficult for all mothers and indeed fathers for males and females to watch your son or daughter inside in a boxing ring but it certainly has become a very very popular sport and Katie Taylor and then subsequently uh, Kelly Harrington has renewed this big interest now in female boxers there's so many young girls now taking up boxing and to think you know headlining Madison Square Gardens who would have thought that that would ever have happened with uh, female boxers and people who were I, I don't understand boxing and the skill of it and, and all of that I can very much appreciate it but everybody's saying that it was you know a, one of the finest fights people had seen in quite some time but I certainly would be with that listener there's no name on it uh, saying that sure Surely Katie Taylor will go down as probably the best Irish sports person of all time. Thank you for your WhatsApps to 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Friday, about two local councillors who both admitted leaving their political party over alleged bullying and intimidation. Well, last Last week, the National Women's Council launched a new report highlighting how female politicians face a torrent of abuse online and the need for political parties to do more to support them. Joining me, the Head of Campaigns at the National Women's Council, and that is Rachel Coyle. Good morning to you, Rachel. Good morning. And you're very welcome to the programme. This online abuse, is it turning women off staying or going into politics, do you think? Well, we think both. Um, you know, I suppose the, the question women have to ask themselves when they see this type of abuse online is why would they want to put themselves in the firing line? 
And um, <clears throat> pardon me. So, like women obviously face disproportionate levels of online abuse, and the types of language that's used is highly, highly gendered. Um, recent research by Dr. Ian Richardson showed that in just one year, Irish female counsellors received eight times more abuse online than their male counterparts. And when you look at the Shamid, um, you know, female senators received three times as much. Um, and we both we know that these are both pipelines to you know our national parliament. Uh, so it does like it certainly acts as a as a deterrent for these women. And the abuse seems to be worse at local level for councillors. That's right. Um, and I suppose like we're we're really working on a anecdotal evidence around this, and it seems just because those women are more accessible to the public. Um, you know, women in the Dáil or in the Shannad um, are female elected representatives. They might have staff who can sort of act as a buffer, really, you know, between the public and and the rep. Um, but that's a case for local councillors um, who are very much uh, accessible to their local constituents. Yeah, and they're very much, you know, one man teams. A lot of them would be running their own social media pages, etc. That's right. Yeah. And and why do you think it's worse for women than it is for male politicians? Well, I mean, I suppose the simple answer is misogyny. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who still have a problem with women entering into public life um, and see them as, uh, I suppose, fair game when they put themselves out there. Like, we, we keep trying to encourage women to participate in public life, but when when they do, this is the torrent of abuse that they receive. And, you know, like, it is, it's, high, it's very personal, it's highly gendered, it's very violent. The types of language and the threats that they receive, um, you know, you can see why it would be very frightening to a woman and her family, especially family, who like, they're not the ones in the public life mm. or have chosen to do that, so... And if it's if it's threatening, I mean, do you believe politicians should be reporting the abuse to the Gardaí? Oh, I do. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I suppose that the the thing about this this research that we've published, the the toolkit that we've published, as was, it, it looks less at the legislation. Like legislation will be tackling this, um, but in in terms of what can be done internally within parties to support women candidates during elections and when they receive this type of abuse. Um, you know, it's it's actually surprisingly really simple things. And, you know, just around like these internal reporting mechanisms, providing support, even like mental health support. And But I think critically, what we need from the political parties is data um, to take this issue seriously, to be asking their party members, um, their female elected representatives, on a regular basis, you know, is this happening to you? What sorts of supports would you need? You know, providing training to um, officers within the party uh, to provide that type of support. Yeah, because do you think some of the councillors are almost suffering in silence, saying, oh, this is part and parcel, and therefore they're not even drawing attention to it? it? I really do. Yeah. And I think especially as as women, you know, they don't want to be, they don't want to be seen as weaker um, even though, like, we know that this is specifically targeted against female elected representatives. But, yeah, I think, you know, we we all sort of internalise that this is just part and parcel of, you know, that you are a fair game when you're in the public eye, um, but that absolutely shouldn't be the case. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And we do know that all political parties have been trying 
over the last number of years to encourage more candidates from different backgrounds. Okay. Is there any evidence that there's a, 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 a racist element to some of this abuse? Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, this, it's, so it's a double abuse. So if you're from an ethnic minority background or, you know, the LGBTE community, you know, it's a, it's a double abuse. Um, and again, like there's really obvious things that political parties can do. I don't think there's an unwillingness in any way from political parties to tackle this. I think they just feel ill-equipped to do so. Um, and that's why we produce the toolkit. That's what our evidence has showed us. You know, we've been running this campaign for a couple of years. Um, and it's clear to us that political parties want to do it, want to tackle it more seriously. And this is a step forward. Yeah, well, when we were discussing last week on the programme about, you know, how two local councillors have left the Fine Gael party, we had a local Fine Gael senator, uh, Tim Lombard, on, you know, talking about how you know, this kind of intimidation and bullying has to stop. And when I asked him, would he encourage a member of his own family, female, to go into politics, like he's got two young daughters, and he said, absolutely not. He said, if either of his daughters came and said, you know, Dad, I'd like to follow in your footsteps, he said he'd turn them off. Because of the abuse that's out there, I mean that's just shocking. Well, it is, and and in that way, it's almost a an accepted um, <laughs> defeatism <laughs> within political parties yeah. that you know, yeah, no, this happens. There's nothing we can do about it, and you know, that's that's the end of it. But it isn't the case. Um, like political parties, we sort of see them as like the gatekeepers, essentially, to um, female candidates. Uh, entering into public life so like there's lots of things that they can do to to properly engage with those women to properly support those women during elections and um you know like having a trained uh, designated contact person within the party with this issue in the same way as they would with any other complaint um you know this is a very specific um form of violence against women and you know it needs to be taken seriously in that way and you've developed this uh, toolkit and part of the toolkit, I mean, you even suggest the counselling should be available for, for counsellors. Well, yeah, when you think about the the types of language, the types of, um, you know, violence being threatened, like it's, it is very frightening, you know, it's very triggering for women. Um, we don't know, like, if these are people who actually have experienced that type of abuse before. Um, and just to actually pick up, you know, something you mentioned where you were saying that maybe women wouldn't want to come forward. Are they suffering in silence? Like one of the suggestions, one of the recommendations that we make is that every party should have um, an online and anonymous reporting tool available to its party members to be able to kind of come forward and express um, what has happened. I suppose that helps them as well with data collection and parties can kind of start to get to grips with the depth of this problem. Yeah, and it helps us to it helps them to document just just how bad it is. Uh, Pat Infamoy um, wants to know from Rachel: Does all the abuse come from men, or does is it a mixture of males and females doing the online abuse? Well, I mean, disappointingly, it's it's coming from both. Um, but I think disproportionately, it comes from men. Um, you know, when you, you think of the types of uh, violence threatened, it tends to come from men. Um, but no, I mean, of course, we see examples of um, women you know, not being supportive of female um, representatives as well. OK, so you've div- you've launched this toolkit for political uh, parties and you're hoping that all the political parties will take on board the recommendations in that toolkit. That's right. And, you know, we have been contacted over the weekend <clears throat> from members of political parties saying that they want to put forward motions to their upcoming conferences and ashes. Um, so, you know, we'd be very, very supportive of that. Um, we intend to write to the various general secretaries and um, party chairs to meet with us, to discuss the recommendations. 
as I say, I don't think that there's um, a reluctance from the political parties as such. We just really want this toolkit um, to, to help. Okay. All right, listen, well done. And uh, Rachel, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks so much for having me. Good morning to you. Rachel Cole there, who is Head of Communications at the National Women's uh, Council. Uh, Will we ever see an end to that online, particularly the online abuse that women in politics and uh, public life and, you know, reading through their report, it's widespread and it's unrelenting. And while we absolutely accept that male politicians uh, receive that, that abuse as well, nothing on the level that female politicians receive. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. One of our favourite TV presenters, Dahi O'Shea, is calling on the good people of Cork to host a tea day this coming Thursday. Of course, it's all in aid of the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland. Dahi has taken time out to chat to us this morning. Good morning to you, Dahi. Good morning, Patricia. How are you keeping? I'm very well, and and you're welcome as always. Now it's been called the Tea Day Comeback Year. Yes. Uh, when when were we last able to host these Tea Days? Is it three years ago? Do you know what it it, 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 was, it was three years ago? Because I remember we did all the pictures and everything just before I'd say maybe about two or three weeks before the whole thing locked down in 2020, and we'd all the pictures taken, and we were all ready to rock and roll with the radio had recorded and everything, and then. We all know what happened. So that it rumbled through 2020, 2021, and now thankfully in 2022, Patricia, we're, we're, we're calling the nation back to tea again. It's such an important event uh, for many reasons. And you know what? We're just so excited to be back to be back in the game again this year. And you can host a tea day anywhere. You can have it at home, at work, in a hotel, in a community hall. It doesn't matter how big or how small the event is. It's, it certainly doesn't. And as you say, you can have it anywhere at all. You can have it in your front room, your back room, your parlour, up in the <laughs> co-host. If you want, it, it, it is totally up to you. The main thing really, I suppose, is just to get funds back in for the Alzheimer's Society. And also the other side as well, just to uh, raise awareness. And, you know, we were away from each other for so long. It's nice to get people back together again uh, in the same room, talking to each other, eyeballing each other and just getting... Back, uh, what, what we know as normality. It's the one thing I thought about actually when I was thinking about the tea day being being back. I mean, we are slowly, slowly getting back to normal. We need to get out. We need to get involved in social events. And I accept for some people they can be a bit nervous ab- about it that this might just be the opportunity that launched them back in uh, to, to meeting up because there's been too much isolation has gone on. Do you, do you know what? It's, it's just particularly with older people and a lot of people are still very, very afraid, to, as you say, to come out of their houses and to meet people. And, you know, if there's a tea day happening close to you and if there's a smaller one that might suit you better as well, because, as you say, there are going to be big and small tea days happening all around the country. So if you if you feel safer in a in a smaller group, this might be the perfect opportunity to do it. But certainly isolation and like no more than your own show, Patricia, we are on the Today Show uh, on RT as well. We've been hearing a lot about this for the last two years as well. Uh, people very lonely, very, very uh, afraid to, to reach out and maybe this could be a nice icebreaker as well to get people I out so. into mm. the community. And I know we have a lot of our listeners who every single year throw open their homes. You know, they'll start yes. serving the teas from nine in the morning and ten o'clock at night they'll still have people calling in for a cup of tea. Yes. 
Do you know what? It reminds me of the old stations years ago. I don't know if you give the stations. Like where, where, where I grew up in Kerry, now we had stations twice a year, and it was great for two reasons when we were going to school. First of all, we got to miss the first two hours of school, and the second, the second part of the day, we were invited back after school. And I remember we should be eating. Uh, Sugar lumps eating competitions because sugar lumps oh. were, the fancy, were, were the fancy things that time. And I remember once that I came in, he had 17 sugar lumps the following day and he was still green the following afternoon. Ah, oh, so, God, has no, he a tooth left in his head he, today? I, I, well, he, he, I don't know. I, I, I hope he brushed them and he flossed and everything after. But, you know, I'm not encouraging anybody to no. put sugar into the tea, but I'm encouraging people to have the tea all right. But and, as you say, it, it gets people back out there again into communities, whether it's inside your front, front hall or in your back garden or, or in the community hall. It's a great time to do it. And actually, when you mentioned the stations the one big advantage to the stations for the female member of the household was they got the house all done up they got the house the the outside of the house whitewashed yeah (laughs) (laughs) how long how long have you been involved with the Alzheimer's Society and and I know you're one of the you're their ambassador uh, for today how long have you been involved I think I've been with them for around five or six years now. Have you? And yeah. um, I, you know, I, 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 t- thankfully, it hasn't come into in, in, into into our house uh, as, as a family or anything. But I think that's a great reason to get involved in a in a campaign like this. You don't have to have uh, a, a personal connection, if, if you like, to uh, to uh, say Alzheimer's to be involved in it. Like one of the reasons, like oh, I, I got involved in this uh, petition, would be is that like I believe. With people who have dementia and who have Alzheimer's, they they can't do everything they want. They can't do it. So we have to be there to help them. We have to be there as individuals and we have to be there as a society as well. And also we have to make sure that there's an understanding about it to get the word out there. For example, if somebody start, starts acting out of the normal, hang on a second, take a step back here. This might be something else. So we need to understand what's going on in the in, in, in the big bad world, if, if you like, as well, to make sure we know that we can care for these people. And that's what it's about. It's about caring for these people and caring for their families as well. And the Alzheimer's Society do the most amazing. Of it. We don't get to hear about it. It's only yeah. families who have a loved one who's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And that's why the Tea Day, it's, it, I would assume it's their biggest fundraising event of the year, is it, for the society? This is this is this is this is one of the big events they have every year, and uh, you know again it's just to be there for people. Like when people get a, a diagnosis, no matter what it is, Patricia, it can be a scary time for the people and for their families as well. So the Alzheimer's Society are there to help with that as well, to explain, uh, to hold their hand if you like, and step by step uh, going forward and to see what the best route is. And like if they if they don't get the funds in from the the tea days and so on and so forth. Uh, they might be able to help people. Thankfully, money is coming in and we need to keep that going so to keep the service alive. And I imagine the pandemic had, was a particularly difficult time both for people living with dementia and for their carers. It must have been really well, one, tough. 100% like, and, and like I said, like those carers, like, uh, they're, they're the unsung heroes in Irish society. Been, they're there 24-7. They're people living with uh, people at home. And for example, if somebody inside the house has Alzheimer's, it affects many people. It meant everyone inside that household is affected and they need to be there for, for, for the person with Alzheimer's. But then we need to be there for the people, for the families there as well, just to make things a little bit easier for them if we can. OK. Talking of COVID, how are you doing? You picked it up in January. You got pretty wiped out with it. 
I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd suppose, I'd, I'd, I suppose at the time it was like a bad flu and you get through it. And, you know, it's very strange because you go through the whole thing. You go through the whole pandemic, if you like, and we were on TV, thankfully, through the whole thing. And we were coming out the back end of it and I caught it. And you didn't, I didn't expect to catch it. And nobody expected to catch it. So I was very, very tired after, but thankfully coming around again. No, plenty of B vitamins and iron tablets and a few a few other vitamin Ds and everything into me. So I've, and, and plenty of rest. You can't, you can't beat plenty of rest I as well. Yeah, I saw in, in a, an interview you gave, you, you you try and get a nap if you can before you go live in the afternoon. Are you still doing that? Yeah, I'd have done that all the time. Oh, would you? Oh, yeah, <laughs> it, I would. It, like, yeah. Even before COVID? Even before COVID. <laughs> even during the Rose of Trelino, for example, if we were on live at 8 o'clock, I'd go to sleep between around 6 and quarter to 7. I'd go to sleep around 45 minutes. I'd close my eyes. And did you... <laughs> <laughs> and do, would, would not, and do you not wake up a bit groggy after it or anything? Not at no? No. no, no, not at all. <laughs> if I slept for an hour and a half, I might be too well. But, <laughs> <laughs> but around half an hour, 45 minutes does be perfect. I, I think everybody should do it. You should be living in Spain where they, they do the siesta. I know. It's, it's, I know. It's, 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 I remember the boss came in there one day and I was still there. I told him, go on away from me, leave me alone for another while. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody by text saying, I'm a huge fan of Dahi. He is a pleasure to listen to and he is so much fun. There was a brilliant article about him in the Examiner on Saturday. This listener read it That's with interest. Right. Keep up the good work, Dahi. Ah, thanks very much. Artists. It's, it's now, great can, to get those messages in. Can you still register for the for you a T-Day pack? You, you can. You, you, you certainly can. If you go to tday.ie, all the information is on there. The T-Day the fifth of May which is Thursday, Thursday. this Thursday, Thursday. yeah and, and as uh, we so always say to people if Thursday doesn't suit you can have it any day you want you, you certainly can you can have a Friday and Saturday as well, but if Thursday is the official day but, but if, if, if you can't do it Thursday Friday, Saturday or Sunday or any day next week it's all fine it's all perfect it's all going for a fantastic cause Okay, and as we always say to anybody organising a tea day, let us know about it. We'll put it on the community diary and we'll give as much publicity between now and Thursday to tea days that are on. Dahi, a pleasure as always. Thank you for that. Enjoy your nap later on. And uh, we'll talk again. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is Dahi O'Shea, who is an ambassador for the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland for their tea day this Thursday. Uh, Mary in Rathcool says, My cousin Killian Lynch is having a tea day on Thursday in his McCroom offices so people are invited to come along what is a very worthy cause the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland it will be on from 10 until 12 or until when Killian runs out of tea bags. Mary tell him I've loads of tea bags in and then he won't run out. The listeners no name on this text uh, was on just talking about something that they noticed at the weekend well yesterday actually bank holiday Monday and the text has said just want to run something by you the pandemic payments that are made to support businesses. Do you know are they still being paid? I don't know if the ones to businesses are still being paid. I mean, certainly the PUP payment uh, for people who lost their jobs uh, were temporarily out of work due to the pandemic. They certainly, that certainly has closed. But the reason that the listener asks is this, he or she says, I was in Cove yesterday, bank holiday, and all I could find was one coffee shop and a stand by the quay that was doing takeaway coffees and ice creams. The rest were closed and nearly all the shops were closed. Cove is a great town. But what struck me yesterday was if all of those businesses that were closed, most of them for the last two years, if they why would they be closed on a bank holiday Monday? A big thank you to those who were open and served the people so well. At the end of the day, this is a tourist destination. More should have been opened. For you for your text, I'm very slow to criticize any business like that that for whatever reason didn't open on the bank holiday uh, weekend. What what for a lot of businesses they're finding it really difficult to open 
all of the hours that they would like to be open and the reason for that is there's a staffing shortage people are still finding it difficult to get staff be it to work in retail be it to work certainly in hospitality there's still a huge um, issue with staff hopefully as we go into the summer months students will become available students that are in school or in college at the moment they'll become available during the summer months so I'm very slow to be critical particularly for business that was closed for the last uh, two years if they thought that there was any chance of them making money or that they had staff available then certainly all of them uh, would have been open and I'm, I don't know whether that was reflected in all areas yesterday uh, was did, did people notice when they were out and about because we are at the tar- start of the tourist season and we only mentioned on Friday that the Cork Airport was expecting a very busy weekend but that's both with people coming in and with people uh, leaving but as I say I don't think anything is closed because they're being propped up by some kind of a pandemic payment. I certainly think if they could make any kind of money at all they certainly would try and uh, stay open. 0818103103 and then somebody else was drawing our attention to a piece. I saw this at the weekend. I know Cork Bio were sharing it over the weekend and this is a kind of a warning to anyone who's going to Dublin airport to make sure that you don't go hungry and it was somebody who shared the price of breakfast at uh, Dublin airport and it was just crazy if I can find the piece now I had it there a moment ago and it's disappeared off my screen but it was somebody who went and were, were, were it was two it was two slices of four slices of toast and two sausages and what looks like two cups of tea and they were charged the pricely sum of €18.65 for four slices of toast, just two sausages. They didn't all have sausages. Uh, four slices of toast and two cups of tea, almost €20. Euro. People saying ridiculous. So if you're going through Dublin Airport, I would suggest you either pack your picnic or have a good breakfast in you before you leave. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. We're taking a break and we have news at 11 on the way. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A lot of people uh, texting in and WhatsApping in to say how much they enjoyed our interview with uh, Dahi O'Shea and everybody speaking about a lovely guy Dahi is. He absolutely is uh, great and, and I love him on the Rose of Tralee. It was so hard to fill the shoes, I think, of Gay Byrne and there was a number of other people afterwards presenting the Rose of Tralee but I think Dahi absolutely has it nailed. Yeah, he's a really, really nice guy and actually from the Alzheimer's Society and their wonderful tea day next Thursday they were encouraging people to get involved in I've had a note in from Mary Cullity in Newmarket from the local Daffodil Day Committee in Newmarket that they say due to circumstances beyond their control they weren't able to hold the usual Daffodil Day you know the one that was on in March of this year and there was a big push in March for people to go out and support Daffodil Day because as we were talking with the Alzheimer's Society they weren't able to have their major fundraiser because of the pandemic anyway uh, because of situations beyond their control in Newmarket they didn't have it so they're, they're having their own 
Daffodil Day, a different one. And they're hosting it on the last Friday in May. So that's the 27th of May. And as always, all proceeds will go to the Irish Cancer Society. Society. So if you're in Newmarket, keep a lookout for that on the last Friday in May. And talking of fundraisers, can I say congratulations and well done to the 18 hardy souls from the Clonakilty Cycling Club who cycled from Mallon to Mism at the weekend. Now we were talking with Andrew O'Donovan who's chairperson of the Clonakilty Cycling Club. We spoke with him last week just to give a bit of publicity to the fact that they were doing it. It was done for the community air, the Irish community air ambulance and we were wishing them all the best and I was hoping. And I don't know as they travelled down from Mallon to Mizzen, certainly it wasn't a scorcher. The sun wasn't wasn't shining anyway for sure. I don't know how wet they got because it was quite misty and rainy for lots of parts of the weekend. But anyway, they have completed the cycle and they arrived back into Mizzen Head yesterday and I saw some pictures up on social media and there was a nice crowd out to welcome them home. But the fantastic news is they were fundraising, as I say, for the air ambulance and it was done through one of these I Donate online and they had set a target of €35,000 and they were hoping if they could get anywhere near the 35000 they'd be doing well. Well, before I came on air this morning, I said I'd just do a quick check to see because I was watching, keeping an eye on it over the weekend. And would you believe, just before I came on air today, they were up to almost €44,000 is what they raised from the 18 cyclists from Clonakilty Cycling Club. So well done. I don't know how they're all feeling today. Maybe they're all still in bed and whether there's a couple of sore, aching legs etc but it was a fantastic achievement to cycle from Mallon to Mizzen I mean that in itself is a major challenge but to do it on a really good cause like the Irish Community Air Ambulance and to raise that kind of money is really really outstanding well done and also well done to everybody who took part in the another issue that we mentioned last week on the programme it was a vintage car and tractor run and this is for Mick Cronin who had that devastating working accident last November when he fell off uh, a roof and he broke his neck and it's just been devastating and there's a big fundraising campaign underway on behalf of Mick's friends and his family who call him Michael Cronin not Mick Cronin. I spoke with his lovely sister Lisa on the programme last week and the reason Lisa joined me was to talk about at the weekend there was this vintage car and tractor run being held in Kiskeim and I heard that more than 400 vintage cars and tractors turned out. It just shows the high regard that Mick Cronin is uh, held in. It really is and there's a big campaign on because at the moment he's in Dunleary in rehabilitation. He'll be there no doubt for another number of months but the plan is of course while, while he's doing his rehabilitation there will be a lot of refurbishment will be needed in his home because the ultimate goal is to get uh, Michael Cronin home. So well done. Take a bow everybody there who took part in that fundraiser at the weekend. Now, some of your thoughts and comments coming into us. I mentioned earlier that today the Agriculture Minister Charlie McCongle will be bringing a memo to Cabinet and he'll be outlining plans for a €55 million package and it's to support farmers to grow crops to ensure that there will be sufficient feed for cattle this winter. And the 
up to €1,000 farmers can expect to receive for growing silage. Tony was on to say with the price of fertiliser increasing, the €1,000 that the Minister for Agriculture is going to offer farmers today won't make a difference. It'll simply be cancelled out with the cost of production, especially when they're capping it at 10 hectares. Yeah, that's why I said the maximum a farmer can receive is €1,000. It's €100 per hectare is what the plan is going to be. Well, I did see the Irish Farmers Association, uh, Donny, they've welcomed this uh, scheme and they say that while the maximum €1,000 payment is welcome, they do point out that more supports will be needed needed to help cover production uh, costs and of course obviously production costs have spiralled and continue to spiral in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine and uh, that's where the real worry is so I think you know the IFA while they're welcoming it they're also with you I I take it Donny and saying that it's not enough that more is needed. I mentioned thank you for your call I mentioned just before news at 11 that a listener was disappointed that they were in Cove yesterday and that there wasn't a lot of shops and restaurants and businesses over open and they fell for a bank holiday weekend such a beautiful town of Cove tourist destination why was more businesses not open and I was making the point that I'm very very slow to criticise any small independent business owner and, and anyone running a business because it's so difficult at the moment I mean we're talking about farmers with cost of production cost of doing business today has increased so I'm very slow to criticise any business that for whatever reason decided not to open up yesterday on a bank holiday weekend well Marion was on to say that she had a relative of hers runs a cafe now not saying it's in Cove I don't know where the the cafe is and Marion says she was talking with her relative recently about you know how she's doing how the business is going and the relative explained that she now only opens for four days a week Thursday through to Sunday uh, even though she's renting the property and has to pay rent on the full week but she's making the same profit while maintaining her overheads by only working four days per week it's so quiet Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday it just wasn't worth her while to open up and having to pay uh, staff and then she said the hassle of trying to get full time staff and that was one of the points I made that could be a reason why a number of businesses didn't open uh, yesterday. What her cousin is currently doing is employing college students. They work part-time at the weekends and on Fridays afternoon, afternoons and that is now making her business more financially uh, viable. So Marion agrees with me that you know the main reason some businesses just it's not financially viable for them to open seven particularly seven days a week over a bank holiday at weekend and what we have to remember is that businesses are in business to make a profit they are not community hubs yeah and when you think about it yesterday for businesses to open am I right in saying if you work on a bank holiday it's double time if if not time and a half so there is that added bill for the business owner as well so I'm, I'm assuming that's possibly some of the reasons why some businesses opted to close because they made the point if they thought that it was financially viable and that they could make a profit they certainly but I think very few businesses would close their front doors if that was the case 0818 103 103 John Paul has taken your calls Joe in Charleville was on to John Paul on our comment line saying firstly on for Cork no luck for Cork over uh, Clare uh, but he says well we all love Semple Stadium in Thurles as a venue Joe has a bit of a bugbear at the moment about Semple Stadium and he's wondering are other people noticing the same thing the majority of people now purchase their tickets online and so when you buy your ticket online you'll get a ticket number for your seating then you arrive at the stadium and you have to find your seat and Joe says in Semple Stadium the painting on the stands 
is very, very faded. And he said it's extremely hard now to make out what area of the pitch you're in, what's, where's your seat number. A lot of the seat numbers have worn off. He says he would love to see Semper Stadium in Thurles sort out this issue. Otherwise, you're going to have people walking around and nobody knowing where they're meant to go and where they're going to sit. And that would be a much bigger issue as well if it was a very busy you know like a full house and you have people all sitting in the wrong seats has anybody else noticed that that all the seat numbers are faded and the Semper Stadium need to do something about it 0818 103 103 our lines are open text or whatsapp to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs With Munster Technological University enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full time part time and professional courses succeeding together with mtu.ie Value Tech Limited they're based in Canturk they're looking for persons with welding or mechanical skills it's for repair and maintenance of agricultural machinery 087 2561953 a part time hairstylist is wanted for a salon in Toker Julie is your contact at 087 6501391 while a bartender slash mixologist is wanted for Balancholic Town, full and part-time work is available. CVs to careers at whitehorse.ie. And experienced spa therapists are required for the Maryborough House Hotel. CVs to mduncliffe at maryborough.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. If we learnt nothing else during the pandemic, it was how important our local businesses are and none more so than our local post offices and our postmen and women and the staff at post offices played an absolute blinder throughout the pandemic. So I was really saddened to hear the Blarney post office is heading for closure. Joining me with more on this story, I'm joined by Cork North Central Sinn Féin Doll Deputy at Thomas Gould. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning. Now, Thomas, there was a campaign about two years ago to find a permanent manager for Blarney Post Office. Fill us in on what has happened since. Okay, well, what happened, Patricia, there was a lady who took over the contract and I just want to thank thank her for the work she's done. Um, The the people of Blarney and surrounding areas are very fond of her. She's done a brilliant job. It's just that she's given in her notice um, on working in the post office and she's been keeping it going even though her notice is up. Now what happened then was uh, on post advertised down the post office to see if people were interested a number of people came forward but as of today no one has taken over or was willing to take over the contract. Now my worry is um, if if on post uh, don't act in this that we'll go the same way as we do with Shannon Street and Montanati and other areas where you will see post offices closed. And the problem here, Patricia, is the contracts at the moment are not sustainable. Most post offices with contracts that the the post are offering uh, are at risk of closure. And it's not just Blarney. We're talking about post offices right across Park City and County. What we need is um, 
there's a the we've met a couple of weeks ago. I went with the Irish Sportsmasters Union, and they've explained that they need 18 billion euros to secure the long-term future of post offices, and that's what we need. So we need to fund them, and we also need them. Like, I just, for instance, in Blarney alone, there's an AIB bank, but it's cashless. So if you don't have the post office out there, and it's, it's a brilliant post office, it's very welcoming, offering loads of services, and that's what we need to do. Now, we need to secure the post offices with proper contracts, and we also need to put more services in there because banks are getting fewer and fewer and are pulling out. But isn't it also a case for the local people, uh, Thomas, in the Blarney area to use it or lose it? Whenever we speak about a local post office and the threat of a local post office closing, we're always saying to people, if you want your post office to remain, you need to start doing more transactions there. But can I say, Patricia, Blarney has actually seen uh, an increase in the volume of what they're doing. And I spoke to the, the postmaster, and she, uh, she told me that, that the, actually the trade they're doing is better than what it was. But the problem is the way the contracts are designed, they won't be reviewed until every five years. Mm. So, so, the, so the, the post offices that are doing the extra work aren't getting the support that they need. Like, for, for the lady I spoke to, know, she worked for 18 months with no DR. No, how is it possible? to run a business. Like, you have a lot of business people, self-employed people listening to the show this morning. And just for anyone else, like, this lady has done everything in her power. Uh, but the problem is the unpost contracts that were brought in. And what we are saying is those contracts were brought in to close the post office. And that's what the IPU are saying to me. That's what other post office uh, managers are telling me. So what we really need is we need additional funding and a commitment from the government. Like, oh, if there are government TDs, there are councillors who are out and say, we are scaremongering. Well, the facts are, on the 12th of May, it's a closing date for anyone who is interested in uh, looking to run the service. And on the 31st of May, that lady, uh, her notice is up. So and, you, might- and you're led to believe that nobody so far has come forward? No, people have. But once they looked at the money and they looked at the contract, no one no is willing to take it Because off. it's not financially viable. Yeah, and these were new contracts that came out in 2018 that a lot of postmasters felt that they were kind of uh, pushed into signing. And what we have now, essentially, you had post offices who are getting 50,000 euros to run the office, and that was slashed to 35,000. No. To pay the rent, the lighting, the heating, and extra staff on thirty-five thousand a year. Impossible. That's not sustainable. And I mean, cost of we know we know cost of living is rising all the time, but cost of doing business is rising all the time. And that, and and on post office, you're not factoring that in. And you see the world since that new contract come in, we have seen one hundred and fifty-nine post offices close. Three of them in Cockneyard Central alone. And my worry for Blarney is, no, if we don't get someone to take over that contract, and I think, Patricia, the contracts are so bad, even if we do get someone to take it over on the short term, I can be 
talking to you in six or twelve months. That, yeah, that person is, is not willing to, to to stay on. Yeah, yeah. And if and if if Blarney was to close for people who use Blarney, and I'm thinking in, in particular of people who go in there religiously every single week, maybe pensioners going in to pick up their pension on a Friday, where would be the nearest post office if Blarney closed? The nearest two post offices is one in Cluro and the other one is in Blackpool. Now, the one in Cluro is quite a small post office. And like, if you have queues of people standing outside, where the, the existing Blarney post office is, is a good building and it's big enough compared to other post offices. Like, to expect all the people to travel either to Cluro or to Blackpool to get the pension or to do, uh, to use the facilities. Like, we need post offices in the community. And to me, uh, if we were, if something isn't done quickly with the contract, we're at risk of losing Blarney and many others. And last Thursday and Friday, I spoke to uh, other postmasters, and they're telling me that, like, that they're losing money. And just to let you know, that Grant Thornton did a commission, did a report that was commissioned by Unpost, and the found that um, most post offices are losing up to 20,000 a year on average. No, there's no way. So what we're seeing now is post offices, when the contracts run out, they are just walking away. They're just walking away. Yeah, but we also have government departments encouraging people to get social welfare payments paid into the bank rather than back in the old days when everybody went to the post office, you know, their children's allowance, whatever it was. There's a big push for everybody to to be in this cashless society, which suits some people, but it doesn't suit everybody. I know, and like, we, like, the post office in Blairney at the moment is the only place that offers cash or during the charge for people who are travelling away. Like, we need those facilities, and if we lose this, like, Blairney is a brilliant tourist town. You know, it's If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I don't have both with two years, so I'm not after fulfilling the promise. So what we're saying is, if we get into power, we'll definitely deliver this public service obligation. And what we're calling, I know, is the T-shirt and the government to stand over to commit the gears to the people to see a post office because the plenary was to lose a post office and would be a devastating blow to the future. Okay, and I'm right in saying, Thomas, that once a post office closes, it never reopens, does it? I've done the kind of, well, I'm well, trying to think over the years have I ever heard of a post office that reopened after a closure. Well, can I tell you, you know, I'm sitting from my office in Shannon Street where I have my clinic this morning. Yeah. And the post office in Shannon Street closed two, year, two years ago the exact same way and it's still closed today. Yeah. And, like, I know there's some politicians are coming out saying we are scaremongering, but the proof is in the pudding. Uh, Shannon Street is closed down. Montanelli is closed down. They moved Blackpool out of the village. If we don't do something now, if we don't get a commitment to the government and if we don't put the government TDs under pressure, my fear is for Blairley and many others because I taught the people, Sundersville, Blairley Street, Fair Hill, like a lot of the rural post offices. On yeah, the let's not even move out into the county and talk about yeah. the number of post offices that we've lost uh, over the years. How are local people, Thomas, reacting to the news of the closure, of the possible closure in a few, just a few weeks' time now? Yeah, well, number one, just great uh, support for the, the, the lady who's running it and the Brilliant. Great appreciation because she should be finished by now. She gave in her notice, right? And I just want to thank her personally because she, like, when other people left, she has stayed and she should be commended for that. But, like, on post should be out there now with a plan for her because uh, the closing date is the twelfth of next week, the 12th of May, and her contract is up on the 21st at the end of the month. So, like, time, we're against the clock there now. We need a commitment from one person in the government because um, like, this is a vital 
songs from Blarney, so long in areas. And I'm just hopeful now that by getting this meeting to make sense, there's a lot of anger and disappointment. As a lot, a lot of people, uh, you, you spoke earlier, Patricia, the one thing we saw was from, from the COVID crisis, how important post offices were. Mm. And if anyone goes out to Blarney, it's a lovely village. They're in there talking to people. Uh, there's a great spirit around the post office out here. And there's this community spirit about it. And there, there's staff. I, I mean, I've lost count of the number of times we'd have heard from listeners who went into the post office and they, went, they may have needed a form that needed to be filled in. I remember during the local property tax, anything confusing like that for some people. The staff inside the post office were just fantastic at helping people. Yes, and the thing of all, we still have that now. And what we want to do is we want to add more to the post offices so that they do become viable. But the truth here, Patricia, is Uncost made the decision to bring these contracts in in 2018. And the the, the idea was to remove, uh, to reduce the number of post offices. Like, if they were going to close post offices, they should have had a plan and they should have looked at where they were completely unviable. But if we are losing, if we're losing banks and we're losing services and communities, like the two things you need for the community to work, you, you need a post office, you need a doctor and you need a local shop. The three things you need to operate. And if we lose the post office, my fear then is people will go somewhere else to post offices which will have a negative effect on the local shop. Yeah, and, and listen, we've, we've seen that in villages where the, the last financial institution standing was the post office and there's been huge pushes to try to hang on to it. Okay, some of your thoughts coming in. James says, is it the post office system and the way we operate them? Is that what is wrong? Are they simply just not making enough money? Or is somebody making the money and creaming it off the top? There was a programme on BBC where a panorama exposure about the UK Royal, Royal Mail the post office and it showed just that on poster charging high prices for letters they have a very successful parcel business surely the model must be making money and if not why not well yeah the post office the postal part of it is is making money but that's completely different to what's the day to day running of a post office Emer and Butterman says in many other countries the post office will have all of the government services available within the post office so while we're all encouraged to do everything online Online doesn't suit everyone. In other countries, you can go into your local post office and be able to do the transaction there. However, that is not the case in Ireland. We have so many services, but they're all broken up into the likes of NDLS and various other services contracted out on post should be the hub for all of those uh, services, which is which is a good a good point. That's what we need as well. We need post offices to do more, to be available to do more transactions. Yes. And Patricia, what you described there is, is the model we should be looking at. And that's what we would support. Uh, uh, driving licences, grants, uh, financial services. Road tax. All, We're always yeah. hearing people saying, why can't you do yeah. the road tax at the post office? Yes. And the other thing then was, one of your texters there made a point about creaming off the top. If you're a person running a post office, and in 2018 you were getting 50,000 a year to run your premises, uh, keep the lighting, the heating, the insurance, the maintenance, and that includes staff, cover for staff for holidays. And then in 2018, it was reduced to 25,000. How is that for you? Yeah, well, I, well, I don't think the listener was in any way referring that the postmasters are creaming off the top because they certainly oh, are not. Yeah. Okay, and just yeah. to finish off, uh, Thomas, is a public meeting? Is that tonight? 
Yes, I, I've organised a public meeting with Councillor Stenna Collins and Mick Nugent at 7pm in Blarney Community Association. So we're inviting people along because if we don't get working on this now and we don't get a campaign going to save Blarney Post Office, I'd be fearful that it would go the same way as uh, Montanati, Street, yeah, Street. Clo- close the door, it'll, it'll never reopen. All right, Thomas, and keep us keep us informed and keep us informed on what happens here. Thank you for that. That is Deputy Thomas Gould of Cork North Central in advance of what's looking like Blarney Post Office to close that meeting tonight at 70818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance. Talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. How many years I was trying to think yesterday? How many years has this event been running? Uh, Patricia, this is our 12th year. Uh, Darkness into Light started in 20, 2009 uh, in the Phoenix Park, where 400 people took part in the event in Dublin. And then it expanded all around the country immediately after that. You could say the people heard the, uh, the, the, the way the, the event is run and, you know, the atmosphere added, etc. And Cork started um, um, hosting Darkness into Light in UCC. It uh, was the first place we started in Cork. And now it's expanded to 20 areas around the county. Uh, so it's, it's could, you ever, could you ever have predicted from that first event in the Phoenix Park that it would become the incredible success that it is now? No, we, we never envisaged that. Uh, when Joan Freeman, who founded Pieta, uh started the first event, uh, we genuinely didn't think that there would be as uh, such an appetite for, for people coming out to share, perhaps with our loved ones and friends and family, maybe after a bereavement to suicide or just, just being there in solidarity with one another. Uh, the strength that you get from that, the power you get from it. And it's such a safe space for people to be in, you know, and, and able to um, enjoy a cup of tea, perhaps. You know, and often people say that when they start the 5K at that hour of the morning, uh, they their shoulders are bent and, you know, they're they're sort of in, in a space on their own, really. And uh, thinking that that's, you know, maybe the, they're on their own on that journey. But in fact, when they do return after the 5K, after maybe sharing a story or two along the way, uh, you know, that, that pressure is lifted from them and uh, they're not on their own. And uh, it's, that's really the simplicity of the event itself. Uh, it's, it's bringing people from a dark place into a place of light and hope. And uh, we hope that that will be the case uh, on Saturday morning uh, in lots of areas around the, the country and around the county especially in North Cork. Yeah, well, I I tell the story of a a friend of mine. It was, I think it was the first Darkness into Light walk that was organised in Mallow a number of years ago and she was doing it on her own and uh, she said the walk started and this woman sort of fell into step beside her and the woman just started talking and she started Mm. talking about the loss of her beautiful son many, many years ago and my friend said that she just walked with her for the 5K, didn't say Mm. anything and the woman Mm. just had 
had this outpouring and she said it was just it was and and she said she moved by the honesty of this mm. woman telling her story and then they got to the end and like that there was a cup of tea a cup of coffee whatever and she said the woman yeah. just disappeared and she never met her again but she oh. said she was so glad that she for that five kilometres she was I just know. able to be with that woman and that's all that woman obviously needed was that's to share it. with a total stranger they never exchanged names or anything but just to be able to share and for her to talk about her son and she said you know my friend said it was just such a special moment for her you know and, and, it, it, and, it, and it really is a gift to us all uh, you know that we can you know we know that when we go to one of these events that when you see the crowds that appear uh, you know all coming from all different parts of the county you know all travelling in perhaps in convoy uh, all appearing say about maybe a quarter to four in the morning um, up out of the bed at an unearthly hour <laughs> and um, you know just maybe all coming together just before the start hearing maybe a story or two but certainly we encourage people to try and share you know maybe the reasons why they're there and, and it might be the fact that it's the first time that they had an opportunity to even get up at dawn or just before sunrise to acknowledge uh, sunrise and hear the beautiful songbird and all the, the lovely feeling around that time in the morning, but especially a gift to, to somebody to share or listen uh, to them. And uh, that's a lovely story you've told there, Patricia, and that's, that can be replicated uh, you know, all over yeah. the country yeah. uh, on Saturday morning, this coming Saturday it's morning. Fan, it's, it's, it, it is, Fiesta uh, it, it, is just an amazing organisation. And Tom, mm. during the pandemic, like lots of organisations had to close mm. up shop, they weren't able to do uh, any work. Yeah. You managed to continue at Fiesta right through oh, the pandemic. Well, the, the community helped us manage to continue the, the work of Fiesta because, you know, in March 2020, and I remember it so well, it was a very difficult time for everybody in the country. We didn't know which way we were going to be going. And um, and certainly lots of organisations, voluntary organisations, etc., had to, you know, cease uh, doing the way we normally do our face-to-face uh, work with clients. Though we had thousands of clients in our service still at that point. So we were very mindful of that. And uh, thankfully our therapists and our staff were able to, convert uh, our therapy over to telephone therapy which was really remarkable at the time that's a very difficult thing to do because we didn't offer telephone therapy at the time yes we offered a crisis helpline which is 1800 247 247 and somebody can ring that number in a crisis to find out how they can proceed perhaps or you know how they can get help especially for a loved one or a family friend you know, or, or a work colleague, just to work out to persuade a person to seek help. But but our actual service, our face to face service at that time, had to cease and it and converted over to te- telephone therapy. And we kept that going, and the community rallied behind us because we had to cancel darkness into light that particular year in 2020. And then we proceeded to keep the uh, the service going through a lovely late late show event, and also the huge work at Electric Ireland. I have to give them huge credit and we're very proud to be associated. I know they're proudly supporting Darkness into Light. Um, you know, Electric Iron were huge advocates and promoting and helping us get the word out that we were in a, in a crisis, a financial crisis at that time. Commu- Irish community rallied behind us, helped us continue. And, and not only are we now offering telephone therapy as a standard service in Pieta, 
and our face-to-face, which we've got back to, I'm glad to say, but also virtual uh, video therapy, which is really a help for those who can't travel, who like to see people or like to see a face, maybe, but uh, can't travel to one of our 20 uh, centres around the country, one of which is based in Shanakiel in Cork City, and it's, uh, it's one of our biggest services in the country, where 3,600 people came to our doors in Cork last year alone uh, with a Cork address. So is that remarkable? In all ages, uh, we see people from uh, under 12 uh, to those in their 80s uh, using our service, uh, using our service in Beata uh, in an hour of crisis. So, uh, yes, the Irish community should be so proud of keeping Beata going, keeping that level of service going, and know that if anybody is in need of a service, they can lift the phone, find out, you know, how to, to treat themselves or to treat somebody in their care uh, through that uh, uh, telephone line I gave a second ago, which is available around the clock, around nighttime and daytime, 365 days of the year. 20, uh, 24-7, yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah. It's just incredible. Do you worry, um, Tom, about an increase in uh, mental health problems due to the pandemic? Uh, yes, we're we're always concerned, and um, that concern, unfortunately, is being lived out because we see ever increasing numbers coming to to ask for our service um, in all age categories, especially eighteen and under, Patricia. So that's a worrying sign. Though at the same time, uh, we're we're delighted that people are able to lift the phone, they're able to access service, that they know where to go. If somebody is uh, has a suicide ideation or is self-harming or, in fact, have been bereaved to suicide and are really struggling with that bereavement, there is help available. they know that they can lift the phone and and then we can get that person to, to uh, come into us or avail of any of the other services we have. So uh, Darkness into Light helps keep that service going, keeps it alive, keeps us going. Uh, and, um, you know, we're inspired by lots of stories that we hear out there in the community, okay. especially and, uh, on Alice, Darkness and Light. A listener who, does not, who has asked me not to call it her name, which is fine, uh, says, would you Eve, would you please thank the representative from uh, Pieta House on your programme today, that is uh, Tom McAvoy. Uh, could you say thank you to Pieta? Without Pieta, I wouldn't be here today. Uh, that thank just you, thank you for that. that just, and thank you, thank you for, for messaging oh, us in with that. OK, how, how can people amazing. still sign up, Tom? It's not too late. Darknessintolight.ie, dil.ie, Google it or whatever way you want to do it. Um, The site is so easy to navigate. Uh, It's a new uh, site from previous years. We're also, and and there will be lots of uh, opportunity around your county for people to to avail of uh, Darkness into Light. And to sign up. I've seen signs all over the place where you can sign up locally. And that's that's all thanks to the committees. And the volunteers, uh, yeah. Volunteers who show up in their absolute droves at this time of the hour, maybe six months in advance to start planning all of these events. So you can go to one of those venues or also, if you don't wish to get into, uh, you know, huge crowds, which we're expecting at all of these venues, you can do it in your own way. And also the site is... is, um, is allowing you to do that so you can create your own event, maybe invite your family or friends to join you if you don't wish to go to any of those other venues. And uh, we would love you to help, um, you know, continue with our work. You know, you can get a T-shirt on that site as well. You can um, order your T-shirt, which will still arrive, even though it's Tuesday, 
and I know it's Friday. Get uh, working on it, and it'll arrive. It'll arrive in, it, in time. Just about. Uh, okay, listen. We, we 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 wish you luck with it. It's it's a wonderful thank wonderful you. event, but it's an amazing organisation. Tom, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. You're very well. Uh, good morning to you, Tom McAvoy of Piesha uh, Darkness into Light IE. If you want to sign up, and one eight hundred two four seven two four seven. Their headline. You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Can I extend my deepest, deepest uh, sympathies to the family of Declan Newman from uh, West Cork? I saw over the weekend, since his death was announced on Sunday, so many tributes pouring in for uh, Declan, who was known locally as Decky to his uh, friends. And he just seemed to have been a much, much loved uh, friend in uh, West Cork. He unfortunately got into difficulty while swimming in Loch Ine near Skibbereen on a Sunday and it's um He's was a very experienced swimmer and it's suspected that he had a heart attack while out swimming with um, others. Just so, so sad. And a dad of uh, two. And actually was a founding member of the Loch Ine Lappers Swimming Club. So he was a very, very experienced swimmer. And I know reading online, you know, people talking about he always had a smile on his face with a jovial man, with a gregarious person uh, that he was. And he was regularly helping out with any kind of community events. So he would be a big, big loss to the the Skibbereen area. May he rest in peace. And as I say, deepest, deepest sympathies to the family of Declan Newman. And then really hard to believe that it is 15 years ago today since Madeleine McCann went missing. And we'll all remember hearing about this little British girl on holidays in Prior Deluge. I have to say, I'd never heard of Prior Deluge in Portugal until Madeleine went missing. And then, of course, it led to days and weeks of a search for Madeleine and a massive manhunt. And there was an international media frenzy surrounding the disappearance of Madeleine McCann and then what her parents went through when they were suspected of being involved I, I mean I, I still I remember reading their book and just thought my god anyone who ever thought that those parents were involved she was such a much loved uh, daughter and 15 years on Jerry and Kate McCann have issued a, a statement saying it feels no harder than any other anniversary and no easier either even though it's 15 years ago their pain never ever uh, disappears and of course Madeleine was very much the story of Madeleine McCann was very much back in the news last month when the Portuguese authorities joining in with the German prosecutors they have declared a convicted German rapist the prime suspect in the disappearance of Madeleine McCann because now it's it's been confirmed that he was in Praia Deluge on the night that Madeleine went missing and he's actually in jail at the moment and he's both been investigated for the the prime suspect in the disappearance but also in Germany they are investigating him on suspicion of murdering the little girl so we think of the McCanns uh, today and in particular little Madeleine but it's just isn't it so hard to believe that it was 15 years ago 0818103103 some of your comments coming in on issues we've been dealing with on the programme we spoke earlier about online abuse that female politicians a female politician is eight times more likely to be a victim of online abuse than a male politician and we spoke about it with the National Women's Council and this toolkit that they've brought out for all of the political parties to try to back up and support the, the female politicians and in particular killers and I think you know when I was speaking with Rachel Coyle of the, the National Women's Council and trying to find out like why the local councillors and it's because 
everybody knows who the local councillor is and they're much more accessible to local people than say, you know, your politician or your MEP or your senator might be. But it's shocking to think and because of it, it seems we for the next local election, some of the females that are currently elected councillors are already starting to say, don't think I'll run again because I can't put up with this abuse. And they're not just getting the abuse, their family members are getting it as well, that something has to be done about it. Ross was listening to me talk about that and, and makes the point that it's not just women in politics, Ross reckons. There seems to be a widespread anti-female view against society at the moment. I don't know if people would agree or disagree with uh, Ross uh, or not. Thank you for your text. And then we mentioned about not all restaurants opening yesterday on the Bank Holiday Monday and someone was wondering, you know, are businesses, are they being propped up by pandemic payments, which I don't think there are. I don't know what uh, payments are still there. And I was making the point it's because many restaurants, particularly small restaurants, are finding it hard to get workers and even it's right across the tourist industry and people are hoping that by the time we get into the summer months, schools will be out and probably the end of this month for secondary schools so there'll be older teenagers available to work and obviously then when the colleges wrap up a lot of those, a lot of the college students will take on tourist jobs throughout the summer months and that hopefully will get us over this slump that we seem to have in a fall off in people within the tourist industry and a lot of that of course is to do with the pandemic as well because all of those jobs dried up so it was very understandable for people who some who didn't want to live on the pup payment they went out and decided I'll you know I'll look at another career and many of them moved into other areas and now have stayed in that area and don't want to go back into the tourism industry so there is a problem within the tourism sector trying to get enough workers somebody has said if restaurants paid staff properly they'd have no problem getting them to work they certainly know how to this is some restaurants certainly know how to charge customers has anybody noticed that the portions are getting skimpier now again in defence of and I know restaurants are well able to defend themselves restaurants I don't know if portions are getting skimpier if anybody has noticed that I mean restaurants would pay the going rate you've got to remember the cost of doing business now has gone up I mean that's why I think when we are going out, no matter what, we're, we're, if we're going to the supermarket shopping, we're noticing everything's gone up. When we pay our electricity bill, it's gone up. When we put petrol in our car, diesel in our car, it's all gone up. So the knock-on effect is going to be for businesses as well. When you go out to have a meal or you go to have a cup of coffee and a scone in the middle of the day, we can all expect to pay more because it's all to do with inflation and the rising cost of a living. So a listener is feeling that's the reason why. I, d- I don't think that is the only reason why people are not going to work with within the uh, industry. Thank you for your text to 0862103103. And then Sharon is thinking of spending her savings. She's hoping to go overseas in August, but she's now starting to worry, will her COVID certificate be out of date by the time she travels? Well, I saw only at the weekend that the EU digital COVID cert has been extended until June of 2023, which means Sharon and all of us Irish travellers, if you are going away with an up-to-date vaccination, you will have the freedom to travel uh, to countries in Europe. But it depends, Sharon, on if you have a booster shot or not. It was expected that the current COVID-19 certificate would expire on the 30th of June this year, but the EU have decided to extend that by 12 months. Now, the digital COVID certificate, of course, we all know it allows travellers to prove that they're fully vaccinated or that they've recently tested negative for COVID or that they've recovered from infection within the past six months. Now, the COVID certificates are no longer required for people, for visitors overseas who are travelling into Ireland 
the Irish government decided to get rid of that. We're one of the first countries actually to do it. We did it around the start of March, but that was purely, well, one of the main reasons it was done was to accommodate the Ukrainian refugees who were coming into this country. Many of them didn't have COVID certificates, so we removed the requirement. So anybody travelling into Ireland, you don't need to have a COVID certificate. And that's the same in other EU countries as well. But there are still some European countries that do demand that you must have an up-to-date COVID certificate. I mean, I think, for example, Spain and Portugal I know when I was in Ibiza the week before last, I had to download an app, three COVID certificates and show them that we not only were we vaccinated, but that we'd also had a booster. Now, an EU cert based on your primary vaccination, that's for people who just got maybe the two doses of Pfizer or Moderna or AstraZeneca and maybe got the one dose at Johnson & Johnson. They're valid for 270 days. So somebody who got the first round of their vaccinations last summer and who didn't get a booster. And there are people out there, not everybody went for the booster. Their cert will have expired. Now, once you have a booster, then the cert becomes valid from the day of your booster and your 270 days starts from there. So it means that when you get a booster, your COVID certificate is extended for nine uh, months. But, and Sharon, I don't know by your WhatsApp if you've had a booster or not, if you don't have a, an up-to-date EU digital COVID certificate that doesn't mean that you can't travel you can it means that you'll have to get a privately paid for PCR test or a professionally administered antigen test and that then will give you an updated COVID-19 cert even though if you're going for the PCR they're about 100 euro I think aren't they to get those done that would be uh, quite costly for that you will need it if you're flying to one of the countries that looks for a COVID certificate but you won't need it coming back but the only thing I will say to Sharon and to anybody else who's travelling at any stage overseas this summer countries are changing the rules in advance of the summer season and up to date requirements are available at the reopen europa.e you are. You can go on to the, our own Department of Foreign Affairs website dfa.ie forward slash travel and I would suggest to anyone who's travelling anywhere overseas this summer that about two weeks before you're due to travel I will be starting to look at those websites and do it right up to almost the night before you're going because all of the countries are changing the rules and you just need to make sure that, you know, you don't just get to the airport to discover that they changed the rules somewhere in the last couple of days and you weren't aware uh, of it. Uh, but Sharon, if you had a booster, then certainly your COVID cert will still be in, will still be valid. But they have been extended, as I say, until June of 2023. 0818 John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Blackwater Family Carers, they're back again and they're having their first meeting tomorrow, Wednesday. It'll be in the Fromoy Resource Centre between half past eight half past seven and half past eight all carers are welcome and new members they say are desperately needed they want to give a bit of an injection of new blood into the group you can contact Porik for further details at 087 227 1153 and please contact Porik if you're able to unable to attend or if you'd like further information about the Blackwater Family Carers Group Mallow Community Health Project, they're hosting the Marie Keating Mobile Information Unit. It'll be on Main Street in Mallow, outside the Church of the Resurrection, tomorrow Wednesday between half past ten and half past three. Now this is a free service 
and it raises awareness of the importance of a healthy lifestyle and early detection in reducing cancer risks and it's open to both men and women. And also tomorrow, Wednesday, Annam Cara, they will hold their next Cork meeting in the Clayton Hotel, Silver Springs, quarter past seven. All bereaved parents are welcome, regardless of the age of the child or the circumstances of the death. Admission is free. Registration is not required. More information uh, on all the supports offered from Annam Cara, you can call 0852 888888. And St Mary's Church of Ireland, Castletown Roach, will host a fundraising evening this coming Friday at 8 o'clock in the Castletown Roach Community Hall. Tickets are €20. It does include a buffet supper, a selection of delicious desserts and teas and coffees. All funds are going towards the repair of the church tower in Castletown Roach. Tickets are available by contacting Hazel at 087-947-1182 or any Church of Ireland member in Castletown Roach. Pre-booking is essential and pre-booking is by tomorrow, Wednesday the 4th of May. And please note that family rates are also available. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Just on COVID certificates and the EU digital COVID cert, uh, Darren Cork says, Hi Patricia, I'm just back from Austria. Wasn't asked for my COVID search once, not even at the airport security in uh, Vienna. I have to say it was the same when we were flying into and out of Ibiza. The only thing I'd assumed was because in Spain you do it all by downloading the app and you put in all the information. I'm assumed electronically they knew whose passports were going through. So therefore they knew who had had the COVID cert uh, or not. And it does vary from country to country and countries are changing all the time. Some are very strict about asking for COVID certificates. I know New Zealand, for example, uh, and Australia, they, New Zealand have just opened up this week and they're very strict about making sure that everybody arrives with a COVID certificate and they're even insisting people get tested on arriving but you just need to check with the country that you are in but I wouldn't be travelling without the COVID certificate uh, Dara just in case you do get asked for it and then Ross had been on to us earlier thank you for your text Ross had been on to us earlier reckoning when I was talking about women in politics and the online abuse uh, Ross says it's not just women in politics Ross was saying it's much wider it's as an anti-female uh, female society out there at the moment was the comment in from Ross this instance says I totally disagree with Ross men put up with a lot of abuse too women actually can be a lot more vocal than men maybe sometimes people can take offence to it but it doesn't excuse abuse and abuse goes on particularly well domestic abuse goes on for both males and females and just on the online abuse you ask any of the politicians and they'll tell you the Ashley Overadker Lee Overadker gets horrendous abuse online but I just think it was the, the National Women's Council were just looking at how the, the it's eight times more likely that a female politician will get abused particularly at local level, local councillors. And that's why they conducted this study and they've developed this toolkit because they're fearful that a lot of female councillors who are already elected won't run at the next election. And obviously if word gets out about the online abuse that somebody has received, then it just turns off other people going as well. And I think anything we can do to... to encourage females to get more involved in politics the better and then a listener wants to know is it time for club delegates to start asking questions at tonight's county board meeting about how poor the Cork teams have been performing what are listeners views on that is it time for the club delegates to start asking questions 
at the at the county board meeting. Uh, your views welcomed on how poor the Cork teams are performing. We welcome those to 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls there. Or you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And then earlier, my apologies, I'm only getting around to it now. Uh, this says, Patricia, what about the 100 euro for home helps? When are we going to get the COVID bonus payment? God, this COVID bonus payment still hasn't been uh, paid out. Can I just say to people who are waiting on and expecting to get that €1,000 pandemic uh, bonus. Not every worker is going to get the full amount. A couple of weeks ago there were so many debates on how they were going to roll out the payment and what would be the fairest way of uh, doing it and of course this COVID pandemic bonus has been paid out in recognition of Ireland's frontline staff who continue to work at the height of the uh, pandemic. I'm now being told that it is likely that the payment date will be earmarked for some time in the month of June. Now, I know at the start of the year, I was saying the payment would be made in March. Then we were told the payment would be made in April. They're now saying the likely likely date is sometime in June. Healthcare workers who are on the front line during the early parts of COVID-19, they certainly are in line for the €1,000. It is a tax-free bonus. However, they all have to meet certain uh, conditions. They have to have, for example, have worked in a COVID-exposed environment in order to be eligible. And then anyone who worked less than 60% of the full-time hours, that would be including retired staff, and obviously student nurses and uh, student doctors all worked they're also expected to be eligible but they will be they will get a smaller bonus it's about i think it's 600 euro it's a 40% drop from the previous previously promised amount and it's understood that only employees who worked 60% or more of the expected full-time hours will be due to get that full 1000 euro uh, payment and uh, it i i just think when the time comes to pay out this, I think you're going to have people extremely disappointed. And one of the reasons it's just got complicated as to who's deserving of it or who should get it and who won't get it. I mean, unions have said that the payment will take weeks to process and that um, they say many people will not receive the bonus. They, This is unions themselves are saying they won't receive it until the very end of June. And I think people will be lucky to have even received it by June. But as of yet, there's still no exact date on it yet, except that it's got quite complicated and they're trying to work out the payment and how to get it to people in the fairest way possible as I say what will seem fair to some will certainly seem unfair to others you're going to have people saying I worked in a COVID environment and I'm not getting as much as somebody else across the road who worked in a different department you can already see the rows that are going to erupt because of this 0818 103 103 you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. So I just spotted a text in from a listener saying, Hi Patricia, I'm getting lots of scam calls. They're coming from Dublin numbers, Liverpool numbers, Manchester numbers. What can I do about them? They are really starting to annoy me now. Well, I know if you have a smartphone, you can try blocking them. Oh, but I've done that and it doesn't, really, it doesn't really work. They seem to come in waves though. Just don't engage is the only thing I can say to you. But if they're getting that, if you're getting that many of them, maybe try getting onto your provider and see if they can uh, sort it out. But they do come in waves. You'll get a series of them and then they'll disappear and then they'll come back again. But are they annoying? 
annoying absolutely they are ok a man who certainly isn't annoying is our uh, Joe Heffernan uh, who joins me good afternoon to you Joe Good afternoon, Patricia. And Thank you for that. Well, you're, you're, yeah. you're far from annoying. You're very welcome. Now, we're going to talk about something that I think everyone seems to have an opinion on and everybody either suffers from it at some stage or knows somebody who suffers from it. And that's the whole idea of getting a good night's sleep. I mean, there's nothing like getting into bed, putting your head on the pillow and then you wake up when the alarm goes off and when it's time to uh, to get up. And if you're able to do that, every single night of the week then my god you're, you're certainly leading a happy life because it's, it's reco- a blessing yeah, yeah it's re- that would be a blessing but because it, it's recognised that if you're not getting a good night's sleep it has a knock on effect on your general health absolutely um, there was an article there by um, a lady Michelle Biggins um, uh, in UL um, it was about actually elite athletes um, uh, this lady is a sports uh, physiotherapist uh, who would be highly regarded works, uh, worked in at least two Olympics uh, that I know of up to now about the importance of sleep um, that um, the article has kind of said that um, poor sleep or too little sleep results in lower general health increased stress and lower mood so you're, you're, you're 100% um uh, correct that um, it has um, it has a negative effect on our lives, on our health, uh, when we are not getting a night's sleep. Um, and and people go to great lengths to try and get a good night's sleep. Absolutely, and uh, sometimes um, what people uh, might. Um, uh, do to get a good night's sleep can actually be counterproductive. I mean, a lot of people might um, think that, you know, um, a glass of wine or even even one and a half glasses of wine um, at night um, uh, would, would help with a night's sleep. But actually, um, uh, research would say that, um, that that doesn't work. Um, in fact, it can make things worse because um, it might be easier to fall off to sleep. But apparently, um, uh, the effect of alcohol um, uh, would affect negatively the quality of your sleep or, or rest. That um, the, that it isn't uh, it isn't what we'll call quality sleep. Yeah, and people and will say to you, you know, they might have a few drinks and they'll fall off. It, yes, it will knock you out and you'll fall off to sleep, but then they'll wake and they'll be awake all night. There's that. And if a person has a snoring problem or even sleep apnea, worse um, alcohol. it makes things really worse. Yeah. In case that anyone would not recognise that term, the sleep apnea, um, uh, well, what, what it is really is a person uh, basically stops breathing for a second or two, and the uh, the body goes into um, you know red alert, like and uh, and one comes out of deep sleep. Um, I was amazed. I heard somebody on a radio program. This would be years ago, and uh, he went to a sleep clinic um, to have it investigated about sleep apnea, and um, he actually woke. I, I I I couldn't believe the number. He walked sixty seven times in the night or or he came out of deep sleep anyway 67 times 
Um, well, actually, I can share with you. I went to a sleep clinic because I snore. <laughs> snore right. And I, I went to a year. Head is all wired up and all of that. And yeah. <laughs> and I never have any problem getting to sleep. It's just that the, obviously if you, if you snore, it will wake you up. No, I didn't wake up 67 times. I do remember the consultant saying in all of his years, he'd never seen anyone to fall off to sleep so quickly or to get into deep sleep so quickly. But it turned out I didn't have sleep apnea. I had what's called positional sleep apnea in that when I roll over on my back. So the problem is more my partner's than mine which was which wasn't the result that my partner wanted I can tell you but yeah you you can and you can get one of those CPAP machines which yeah. a lot of people get if they get sleep apnea and they get a, mm. one, a wonderful night's sleep but that's an actual recognised uh, condition uh, so mm. for, for people then where, where, where did you where, where was it in Ireland you did the sleep yeah in, up in in CUH right yeah that's very interesting, yeah. I did, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a good few years ago now I went. But yeah, yeah I went and, and fell off to sleep nicely. But, but it turned out so, was it, that, that it's the position that it's, you sleep I, in? I sleep in, yeah. Because, you know, the old-fashioned thing of sewing golf balls into the back of your pyjamas, that would actually work for me because, obviously, every time I'd roll over, I'd wake up. I didn't. Right. I didn't do that either. By the way, okay. No. And then other people, other people, <laughs> they, they, we, we, like we hear about good sleep hygiene. That's what we constantly hear from sleep uh, experts. And one yeah. of the ones that we're always told is is to switch off before we go to bed. Like we all watch TV or we're on our tablet or we're on our phone. Of course, that's stimulating the brain. It is, but I mean, I'd kind of, um, I would. Um, kind of qualify that's a small bit in this maybe it would depend on what you watch too do you know that I mean um, I, I wouldn't like to think that I was depriving myself of a night's sleep if I watch a bit of telly before I go to to, to bed um, but I suppose you don't want to be watching something that is um, you know uh, that would get the old head going big time Um you know these programs, as they say, chewing gum for the mind. That mm. um, there is something in a bit of entertainment um, or, or, or something in that line um, uh, would be um, would be. I, I don't think that that would be any harm. But if it was something like really serious about um, A, B, or C, and that it really gets you plays uh, on your mind, yeah. Yeah, not, that, not that would a good not idea. be a great idea, like. And yeah. then if you're, you know, a lot of people at the moment, cost of living, we're talking about it all the time and, you know, everything's gone up and people are worried about bills. Mm. That's that's going to affect, that's going to come between you and a good night's sleep. It definitely is. And I'd say, like, that before going to bed is not the time um, to uh, start looking through um, uh, this bill or that bill um, uh you know uh or any kind of contentious issues um that um uh, if there's um if there's an issue that needs to be discussed with a partner for example that it mightn't be the best time to bring it up um uh, um you know at nine or ten o'clock at night that uh, uh because that's going to be either annoying or stimulating or uh, worrying um so if you if you're stressing about stuff like that it's quite likely that at 2:30 a.m. or 3:30 a.m. that you're lying in bed um uh, thinking about uh, solutions 
or uh, to to those kind of problems. So, um, you know, that might be an awful lot better as a as a four thirty five o'clock um a discussion point. Um, yeah, in other words, like just... avoid stuff that is going to um be um uh, upsetting or stressful. Um, uh, later at night. Okay, and then for people who really, really suffer, uh, perhaps you know, with insomnia, which is which is a medical condition that is slightly different. But the idea of going and getting sleeping tablets. I mean, most doctors will say sleeping tablets work, but they're short term. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. Um. You know, I think most doctors would be um uh, very um. Uh, reluctant to uh, to prescribe sleeping pills along and on and on and on. But um, at a time of um, an extreme stress, at a time of um, uh, some issue are, are happening which is uh, keeping you from getting a night's sleep, then of course these are excellent on a, on a short-term basis. Um, maybe even from, from the point of view of setting up um, uh, a rhythm or um, uh, a routine that the body uh, gets used to going to sleep at whatever, 11 or 12 o'clock. Um, but yeah, um, as a long term, um, they, 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 they can be addictive, at least psychologically, like it would be if I don't take my whatever, the Zimavain, whatever, if if I don't take that, like, oh, my God, I won't sleep. And um, and that's not a good uh, situation then. So short-term, fine. Uh, long-term... Just be careful. Just, yeah. yeah, just and, be careful. And then you have so many, um, which I think are excellent. You have the, um, the we'll call them the natural um, uh, sleep uh, helpers. Um, uh, ones that would come to mind would be valerian root, um, melatonin. Um, I think in Ireland, melatonin is. Um, you need to get it on prescription now. There on was, prescription, there yeah. was a time where you where you could buy it, but you, unfortunately, you need to get it on prescription. But I know yeah. Annalise Trissell on our nutritional slot would would talk about melatonin and uh, and the other one you mentioned. That there are, if you go into a health shop. There are yeah. alternatives, natural alternatives that can help as well. Okay, so yeah. to talk about good sleep hygiene that, that we mentioned, there are a few things that people can do to help yeah. themselves get, get a, good, a good night's sleep. I, yeah. mean, I mean, the one, and it's an obvious one, but it's one that people don't always do, is to go to bed and get up at the same time. Because I certainly notice on a Sunday night, if I have a lie-in at the weekend, it throws out my Sunday night then. Right. I was giggling a bit there because when I first saw sleep hygiene, I, I thought it meant have a good wash before going to bed. Um, I kind of thought hygiene. Hmm. Anyway, it's um, sleep hygiene equals um, good good sleep habits. We'll say, okay. and uh, yeah, the one you just mentioned there now, like, would be sort of top of the list, really. Um, to have to have a bit of routine, a bit of regularity, that the that the old body clock would be used to um, uh, going to bed at a certain time, and then um, uh, waking up um, at a, a you know a pretty much the same time, um, and then um, a, a suggestion that I would have uh, read as well would have been that if you don't get a good night's sleep. Um, 
cannot compensate by staying in bed very, very late into the day, into the morning, because that'll just um, that'll just embed the the new routine. Well, it's and, turning and night into day. Is, is yeah. the problem, yeah, yeah. with the following, yeah. following it. Yeah. And then it's just so, to try to learn to relax before you get into bed. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's where we'll say now, um, uh, you know, the lads with the the lovely music we hear there, Eric, Michael, JP, you know, um, a, a nice little bit of music. Um, uh, I, I'd often have C103 on there now, um, uh, just uh, on the music programs, and um, I, I I like that. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing um, worrying or upsetting or anything about that. Um, uh, so something to relax. Now, um, I I don't know whether I'm talking contrary to the usual advice or what, like, but. I never but read in bed before going to sleep. I always read some of a book. Now, there'd be all crime thrillers and stuff like that. Nothing, you know, uh, wouldn't have anything to do, for example, with work or anything like that. It's for pleasure. Um, It's for pleasure. Yeah, I I, I just like to have a read. Somebody else has a question on that, says, I know reading is great to help you sleep, says this listener. But this listener reads on a Kindle as opposed to a book and was wondering, does that interrupt the sleep pattern as as it is as a screen? I'm sure I read something that the way the Kindle is set, it doesn't give the same light that you would get, say, if you were if you had uh, an iPad or a tablet in, in your hand, because so many people now use a Kindle rather than. Even though I'm a bit old fashioned, I still like to hold a book. So I don't. I, I, as far as I know, do you know anything about the Kindles? To tell you the truth, Patricia, I don't. don't. Okay, um, I'll try um, and find that article and and, and I, can, yeah. I, I I can come but back I to do, it tomorrow. I I I hear a lot, and, and so do you about this blue light and yeah, all that. That's it. No, I don't difference. pretend to understand a lot of that. Yeah, um, it's but, the very um, bright light of a TV that that that's that's what you that's what you're trying to avoid. Right, and that's why they say. I know you were saying TV can absolutely help you relax, but don't have a TV in the bedroom. Oh, absolutely not. No, no, that that um, that is not a good idea at all. Um, but uh, uh, you know, to 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 relax as much as possible before going to bed. Um, and uh, for me, um, an old chapter of a book, even if they're for some reason or other that I'm late going to bed. Um, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll still read a couple of pages anyway. Yeah, and it'll um, help you fall off to sleep. And then, there's yeah. th- and then there's things like, you know, be careful of what you're taking in the hours going up to bed. You know, like don't drink cups of coffee, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Caffeine, uh, nicotine. Um, uh, I mean, these are stimulants and um, they're just about the... Uh, the opposite of of what you want um, going to bed. Like they even um, advise not to have a big meal before you go to bed, and I'm, I'm assuming that's to do with digestion. Absolutely, because then I mean um, we'll say if we look upon our body as uh, kind of in a mechanical way, um, that food is being digested um, while you're in fact uh, trying to get to sleep, and. Um, uh, you know, I mean, common sense would say that that's not um, 
that's not conducive to going to sleep because um, it's it's working away there in the tummy. Okay, and it, yeah. al- it also says not to exercise um, late at night mm. either either mm. before you go to bed. And then if you are lying in bed tossing and turning, don't look at the clock. Yeah, I I have to say I I'd be a devil for that now, yeah. um, and and it's not 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 recommended, and it's not a good idea. But um, uh, yeah, I'd I'd have an old glance, um, uh, and if I see anything like six thirty, six forty five, um, I'm quite pleased. I kind of at my age now, um, I I'd say grand job. That, yeah, but if um, you, if you look at the clock and it's it's twenty past three. It's 20 to yeah, 4. Not it's, good. It's, yeah, it is the worst, worst uh, thing. And obviously phones, smartphones, iPads, all of those do not have them anywhere in the bedroom. And I also see on the list is do not nap during the day. We had Dahi O'Shea on earlier who says he naps every day. He always he's, he's in that routine. Doesn't affect his night's sleep. I suppose it varies from person to person. But he has right. a 40 minute cat nap every single day. Like the right. old... The, the, is the that kind of, Dahi that does Dahi on the, the television. Show. Yeah. Yeah, every day before he before he goes live, it's about two o'clock. He'll shut the eyes inside in the studio and he'll fall asleep, and then they'll wake him up in time for him to to go on. Right, I suppose I get it. That I mean, if he's after a drive from Galway, that's it, and and maybe to just chill out um, and it works, for a half an and hour, it, and yeah, it works, I, and it I, works I, for I him. Okay, that. we're over on time. Somebody else says, "What about sex? Always good. Always help you get off to sleep." Okay, Absolutely. listen, Joe. We leave it there. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. Have a good week, and, and thanks, the same, thanks for joining us. Bye bye. Uh, you can contact Joe at oh eight six eight three four eight one four five. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to JP Nick Richards with the today. Talk to you tomorrow. C one zero three. John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.